Mark's Gospel, we have a series which I think Helen opened up. I'm told that she was brilliant, so thank you. Um, and today, yes, go on then. So t- today we're going to look at Mark chapter 1, but I will pass on some of my own reflections later. What we're going to do first is I'm going to read the chapter. I'm going to read it slowly. I've asked that the words don't go up there. So what I'm doing, you can follow it in your own Bible if you want to, by all means. But I'm inviting you just to sort of allow the narrative to soak into you. Uh, Because we're so familiar with it. And just to try and, and if possible, place yourself in the scene which is being described. You're there. I listen to children read at school, and some of them are very good readers, but they read like this. The boy went out the room, and he stopped his sister from stoning the cat. (laughs) And it's a monotone. And to be honest, and I'm not saying here, but in many places, that's how scriptures are read, but it's done with a kind of reverence. We can't put too much into this, because it's God's word. So we have to be terribly formal about it. In actual fact, what we're reading about are events in which people's emotions were stirred and lifted up and thrown down and and all kinds of noises and smells were going on all around. And it was real life stuff. Now, I'm not promising that my reading can bring all that out. I'm asking you to invite the Holy Spirit to bring some of that out in your imagination. Revisit Mark chapter 1. When I've read it, I'm going to invite you, and nobody is compelled to do this. It may be not something you want to do, but I'm going to invite people just to share with one another. After a moment's extra reflection, the things that struck you that may not have struck you quite like this before. So that you actually minister to one another. It may be that in your case you just want to say, do you know that was just totally blank to me. I've been like that for several months. Can we pray about it? Let's be real about what our faith is doing, shall we? And what the word of God is doing with us. And after about five minutes of that, then I will share some of my reflections and we'll get on with the rest of this morning's worship event I also ought to say I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version just because I want to. (laughs) And in one or two places I may dub in phraseology from other versions. (laughs) 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 The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, Son of God. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. 
And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you, I'm well pleased. And immediately, the Spirit drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time's fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent! Believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And as he went a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat, mending the nets. Immediately he called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as a scribe's. Just then, there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you got to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet, come out of him. And the unclean spirit, throwing him into convulsions and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed, and they kept asking one another, who is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once, his fame spread through the surrounding region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they told him about her at once. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up and then the fever left her. She began to serve them. That evening at sundown, 
They brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons. The whole city was gathered around the door. And he cured many who were sick with various diseases, cast out many demons. And he wouldn't permit the demons to speak because they knew him. In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place. And there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said, everyone's searching for you. He answered, let's go to the neighboring towns so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that's what I came out to do. And he went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. A leper came to him, begging him. And kneeling, he said, If you choose, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I do choose. Be made clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was made clean. After sternly warning him, he sent him away at once, saying to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the word so that Jesus could no longer go into a town openly, but stayed out in the country. And people came to him from every quarter. Let it sink in for a moment. And then, if you want to, share with the people round and about you. <laughs> so we've got Mark chapter 1. The observations here are just personal reflections. Uh, things that have made me stand up again. And I just pass them, I share them with you. So it's not a sermon, it's my reflections. The first thing that strikes me about this, and I suspect that probably Helen said this a couple of weeks ago, so I'm just... Is there's a certain non-negotiable about this, and it's in the opening lines, and it's the author's non-negotiable. The, the, the author is a convinced man. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The author has no doubts, and this is his purpose for writing. When you get to the end of the book, and most of us have been to the end of the book, you know there's two or three endings. But the ending, the original ending in English, and I didn't check out the Greek, perhaps Helen can tell me, the final word is afraid. The very last word is afraid, and it follows the resurrection. And my reflection on this is, the author himself needs no convincing. Jesus Christ is the promised one, the Son of God. He has come, as God declared in the prophets, and God's purpose has been fulfilled in him. 
But the women at the tomb fled afraid at the extraordinary, could I say, incursion of heaven's plan in their life. A resurrection doesn't feature in people's understanding. And here is the one who was to be known definitely as son of God, who was definitely crucified, but is definitely up and risen from the grave, and they are afraid because they don't know what to make of it. And it seems to me that the author has written with that in mind. I'm convinced, here we are, I'm sharing the things that convince me. Now what do you make of it? So the question comes back to me, okay, what do I make of it? Since I first believed, now that I'm personally am 42 years into my faith, what am I making of it? And how about you? My second reflection is that this is not a biography of Jesus. If it were a biography of Jesus, he would begin with the birth. He doesn't. This is a biography, or if such a word is permissible, of the mission from its public launch to its public conclusion. The birth of Jesus was public but hidden, and for 30 years God hid his son first of all in a manger, then in Egypt, and then in a place where people say, can anything good come from there? He hid him in an artisan's trade, and it wasn't until he was about 30 that this mission of God for which he was born was launched publicly. And that's what this book is about. It's not a biography. It's about the public launch and the passage of God's, God's purpose in Jesus. And it seems to me that it is a whistle-stop tour of the things that convinced the author. Mark is the name down to it. Tradition says that he got it from Peter. I don't know whether that still holds in theological circles. It's what I was taught, but these things change over years. So... Let's say these are the things which impressed and convinced Peter. So that it's a whistle-stop tour because you'll find the word immediately or the phrase straight away occurring over and over again. So he's not saying he did this and then immediately he appeared three miles further up the road. It's saying he did this and then it seems to us no sooner had he done that than he was doing this. Which makes Jesus' life very full because John says, if all the things that he said and did were written down, I don't think there would be enough libraries in the world to contain it. The next thing that strikes me from the very outset is the prevalence of the supernatural. And it is one of the things which most easily gets lost in our reading of it. Personal reading our familiarity with it, even at times our public reading. We lose a sense of the supernatural. It's read almost 
as though we're reading Harry Potter. We expect Harry Potter to cast a spell and Voldemort to go, Ugh. Well, we expect Jesus to go zing and a man to get up and walk. Do you hear what I'm saying? What actually happened was Jesus spoke and leprosy disappeared before the eyes of all the people present. And the man from his outer features to deep down in his soul was made clean at the word of Christ. What we see is a man who has been torn apart um, by demons and he's crying out and Jesus with a spiritual word of authority goes past the mind of the man to the possessing spirit and subdues it and the madness of the man is dispelled and a man that seemed to everybody else to be mad and out of it is now standing whole before them alert reverent astonished we mustn't Lord don't let us take the supernatural out of Jesus because if we do the phrase we so often like to use Jesus the same yesterday today and forever becomes meaningless but if that phrase has the meaning that it conveys then what we see of the supernatural working through Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. An observation about Jesus' opening words in Mark. And I really don't know how to read these out. I don't know what expression to use. Good news has just become a phrase, hasn't it? Gospel, we talk about gospel services, gospel preachers, gospel this, and it's just become a jargon word. So we substitute good news because the Greek is euangelion, which means good message. So we substitute good news, but it's still jargonized. For these people that were listening to, listening to Jesus, this was revolutionary. Excluded most of them from the synagogue, either by their own conscience or by the hypocrisy of people in the religious people themselves, these people never expected that God would come anywhere near them and be concerned for them. And suddenly, somebody who then transpires to be the Son of God comes out amongst them, an indubitably holy man that nobody can discredit and declares the time's come the kingdom of God's at hand now then change your mind and understanding and believe this this is radical good news welcome there's a welcome in these words there's an invitation in these words 
There's something which puts a gasp in the mouths of the hoi polloi gathered around him. Something which says, what? Us? Caught? And us? We can be liberated. And then he goes on and he liberates them from their fears. He liberates them from the, from the spirits that, that haunt them. He liberates them from their physical failures. He liberates them from their fear and their guilt. And he liberates them and brings them into the freedom of being friends with God. Now isn't that awesome? Which actually totally transforms their life because their whole perspective on their identity and their worth and their value and what they can do in life is immediately changed. This is good news. I don't know how to say it so that it becomes really good news. Except I want it to be really good news. I want it to be really good news in the church. I, I suspect that the church, I don't just mean Cairns Road, I said this at an induction, at a, an ordination yesterday. I said to the, the, the ordinary, I said, look, there's the kind of person, don't be the omnicompetent competent minister. When people want you to be the omnicompetent minister, don't get too angry with them because since post-war, in my experience, that's what we've taught churches to expect. And because we've taught churches to expect the minister to be omnicompetent, we've inadvertently taught the members of the church to be pew fodder. But good news is you're not. The good news is that God releases you and the potential that is within you and your fears and your doubts and, and releases you to be what you are identified as by God in his creation of you. Isn't that awesome? This is supposed to be good news. Oh, make it good news to us, Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, I hope it's good news to you. I want to see you leap and shout and say, I have liberty to be what I never dreamed I could be. Because the kingdom of God has come near. The time's here. It's now. Hallelujah. The other thing, I didn't know quite how to read. It always falls awkwardly when I read it to myself. Is this um, leper, when he falls down at the feet of Jesus, and the first words that we have are, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And my heart says, yeah, that's right, but why did you put it like that? Well, you might not agree with me, but I suddenly noticed, reading this through again and again and again this week, that he came and fell down before the Lord and begged him. He shouldn't have been there. Custom said that he should be not less than six feet away, that was by law, and that actually he was outcast from society anyway because his disease had put him there he probably had quite a fierce anger with God or at least with other people because of this a fierce anger perhaps with God because it was a religious instruction which put him there so by an ancient religious instruction intended for the health of the society he was outcasted seemingly by God and yet he is a man of God representing God and this man breaks all the taboos he rushes to the crowd he sends them scattering gathering their children picking up stones to throw at him cursing him 
he falls down at the feet of a holy man who, if he's true to the scripture, will say, get back to your cave and out of this society. And yet he sees something more of God in this man. And so he falls at his feet and he's actually begging him. And I suspect he's almost excusing himself. What are you doing here? It's not what Jesus said, but what he might have expected. What are you doing here? What I'm doing here is that if you choose, you can make me clean. If you choose, you can make me clean. And the extraordinary response before words touch. When was the last time this man was touched with compassion by a fully healthy member of society? Perhaps it was the last kiss of his mother as he was driven out of the house. Before words comes touch and he says, I do choose. Be made clean. This is awesome, good news. And here we have the tender heart of God, the compassion of God which took Jesus to the cross because in order to do this, everyone he forgave, everyone he healed, all this was just part of what was summed up by the, later by the cross when he carried our sins and our infirmities. This was sacrifice previewing the cross by which he healed this man. And so we see this tenderness of Jesus which comes through and powerfully strikes us because we need that tendership, tenderness from God. And yet I come back to this amazement of the people. This is my last reflection. The amazement of the people, their astonishment, and those final words, they were afraid as they fled from the tomb. And I just wonder, we call him... We have our religious jargon, our picture language to describe our glorious, risen, ascended, reigning Saviour. He's the Lamb of Sacrifice. He is the Lion of Judah. And I think we've lost the danger of him, haven't we? We've sanitised Jesus. We love the compassionate side, but we've sanitised the Christ of God, who is a lion, whose works and supernatural acts cause people to tremble and wonder and perhaps fear because they've never encountered this, because God comes near and there is a holy fear. We've lost the lion who turned over the tables in the synagogue because they were the tables of thieves stealing from the poor trying to worship. He is the lion as well as the lamb. And he's our God and saviour. Well, that's my non-negotiable. That's where I'm at. But Mark wants you to say, where are you at?